Thank you. Our scripture reading today will be from Psalm 67. And Shar, oh, let's see, who's our reader? Sorry, not Shar. Our scripture reader is James Frizee. Is he here? Yeah? Let's see. I guess I might be. You want to do it, Dave? Thank you. It's Psalm 67, and we have the reading right there. Could you tell on the page? Psalm 67 is found on page 534 in the Bibles on the seats next to you and also on the screen. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still. So that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Let the moments of this day reverberate with sounds of our singing, with the words of the psalm, and with praises to you. Our Lord, help us to gain perspective, to see our neighbors, to see our friends, to see our family, to see strangers, to see those politically politically opposite of ourselves with a new point of view. Someday, your glory will rise as the ultimate dawn to end all night times in darkness. Amen. Um, Every few months, there seems to be another celebrity death that that passes away. You might have noticed that. Um, It seems to be expected, right? That's what happens. People die. Welcome to Sunday morning. Um, The celebrities that are meaningful to us are the ones that we remember. I remember where I was when I learned that Michael Jackson died. I remember the text that I got when that happens. I remember where I was when I learned Whitney Houston died, or Robin Williams. Um, These giants of of pop culture um, reverberate, and and they they stay with us. And for some reason, Tupac still releases an album. Um, There's still more biographies written about presidents. Um, And the list goes on. We still remember them. well, this week, or about two weeks ago, there was a really a very important celebrity death that occurred. You might not have been aware of that this celebrity passed away, but their, their influence still resounds throughout the interwebs. Um, I'm talking about Grumpy Cat. Um, that's right, this sad, bitter, pessimistic feline that became a meme that reverberates around the world. You laugh and you scoff, and that's fine. You can laugh and scoff, but let me tell you that this little kitty, according to Newsweek, has a, had a net worth of $99.5 million. 
Who's laughing now? Um, that might not be true. Newsweek also said in this article that I read, kind of an obituary, um, that tartar sauce, that's the name of the actual name of this cat, um, allowed the owner to, at the very least, quit her job. So it might not have been like almost $100 million, but it was enough to allow her owner not to have to work again in her life, which is pretty cool. What's interesting about this cat is that it's one of the stars of this, of this constant thing, this phenomenon that, that happens, these viral happenings and moments. These are known as memes. And we see these all over the place on the internet. And surprisingly, there's something really English majory about them. Um, before you glaze over your eyes, I'll be really quick about this. Every year in my classes, we talk about illusion, what an illusion is. Um, and it's kind of a struggle to communicate this idea. But first, it's in, it starts with an A, not an I. You have to know that. Um, that matters. And then it gets really technical. Um, and really, it's an expression designed to call something to mind um, without really mentioning that thing explicitly. Or it's an indirect or passing reference. The first layer is what an author is saying, and the second layer is that thing that they're referencing. Think about them as inside jokes. If you get the inside joke, well, then you get that extra piece to it. It just adds layer and depth. You don't need to know the illusion, but it helps. That's what makes memes so good, is it alludes to something, and then you're on the inside. And, there's, and so many of them are illusions, and so many of them are really good. So I have some for us. Um, there's one on church. Um, we're trying to find what the Bible says, like and share, and God will bless you, right? We, we know that. Perhaps you're a, a church person and you can get that illusion. Um, or what about being a nurse? Nurse sitting down. Clearly, that's photoshopped. You only have to get, that only reaches a certain audience. Or this one about being a doctor. Tell me again how you went on WebMD and you think you know what's wrong. Um, or we have one for a teacher. Homework on Friday, it's part of my evil plot to kill your social life. Um, or uh, one for a student. Teacher says, pick a partner, look at your friend like this. <laughs> What's great about these illusions or about these memes is that you get that inside joke. You can kind of see it on its own, but there's something, there's a reference inside of here that draws us in. And lastly, hopefully I'm not dividing my audience, there's two illusions happening in here. There's the office and then Julius Caesar. Of course, you have to know your audience, right? You have to know who you are alluding to. Because if they don't, then your audience loses the reference, and then you're just kind of a, a pretentious jerk, and no one wants to be that. If you get it, you're in. If you don't, you're out. If we turn to the psalm, there's a few things that we can get. There's an illusion right at the beginning that the psalmist is drawing to himself. And we hear this illusion every day, every Sunday, when we leave this service. It's all about the blessings, Embedded in the beginning of the psalm is a clear allusion to a blessing that Moses gives the priests. It looks like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. We hear this every single Sunday. We are every single Sunday alluding to this passage. But this psalm, this psalmist, this poet, is pulling this out to begin this psalm. This particular Blessing has, is kind of threefold. It, it blesses, it gives protection, it gives favor, and it gives peace. But the author of the psalm is keenly aware of what he's doing. And instead of directly speaking to you, the priest that shows up in numbers, he's doing something different. The point of view shifts. 
The former applies to an individual. Bless you. May the Lord keep you. But the psalmist encourages everyone. He says to call us, to us, upon us. It changes from you to everyone else. That's pretty cool. I like that a lot. Um, A tip for reading poetry is to always look at that point of view shift. If there's a point of view shift that happens, then markers should go off and we should see what's being highlighted. God's blessing permeates throughout his story. And for a people whose entire story roots itself on being a blessing, this resonates. There's debate about when this particular psalm was written, before or after um, the exile. There's a section of the psalms, Psalm 52 to 72, that kind of is a psalm to all the nations, um, and this kind of sits somewhere towards the end. But regardless, this particular psalm is aiming towards something. It has direction. The theme sheds some light on two great theological traditions um, that show up in the Old Testament. One is the promise of God blessing Abraham. This is in Genesis 12, where God tells Abraham that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your family meaningful. Clearly, the psalmist sees God's favor on Israel and that all the other nations are going to fear him. They're going to be blessed by that nation. But notice this motif that shows up throughout the story, throughout this, this psalm. It's the earth that gives harvest from God's blessings, and that the nations will fear God. That's a, a weird word, I think, to kind of place in there, to fear God, because it's kind of a, a misnomer. Um, it's not to be afraid of God. Um, it's to be something else. It's to be in reverence, to, to be in awe of the sublime, of something grand and spectacular, like climbing to the peak of a mountain or rafting on a river admiration of something grand. So the earth will give harvest because of God's blessings. The earth will be in grandeur to God. This is a response to what God has done, which leads us to the second tradition that this psalm is sitting in, and that's the the prophecy and proclamation, what God has done. If we think in the first part, oh, awesome, we're looking at what God has promised us and what's going to happen out of the promise. Well, we also see what God has done Um, this forward momentum, what does this look like? Who is it for? Am I a part of it? This drive leads us towards shalom, this deep peace that resonates throughout his story. We're moving somewhere. We're not static. It's easy to stop here and and to to think about this, that when God leads us towards shalom, when he guides us towards this, everyone's going to stop and watch to see what's happening. And there's a temptation here to say that if God is doing this for us, then it's for no one else. And certainly that's the thought that we get in the Gospels when when Jesus shows up, that the religious leaders that Jesus talks to, they think that this story is just for them. Or fast forward, and we can look at different factions of the Christian faith to think that what God is doing is just for them. And it's really easy and tempting to say, we're in and you're out. We've all experienced those kinds of things, of being on on the outside, or maybe even being on the inside and and keeping keeping people out. To be cut from a group, a club, a church, a family, whatever, because of something that we can't control, or because we didn't meet a certain standard. A meme we didn't quite get, but we laughed at it just to fit in. We've all been there. I have a very adorable, very loud toddler. Maybe you've seen him recently. Perhaps you heard him this morning. Um, and he is as active at home as he is at church. Um, and we have some, some tricks that we keep up our sleeves to keep him focused or to keep him distracted or to sit down a little bit. 
The best trick that we have recently is to watch Sesame Street. And let me tell you, it's been a long time since I've seen Sesame Street. This is really good stuff. <laughs> I'm convinced that the, the writers, producers, voice actors, puppeteers, they drop subtle punchlines and jokes for parents because they know that they need that in that moment. And the kiddos just don't get it. A few weeks ago, I was, I was watching the street. That's what I call it. Um, and there was a cold open for a show um, that features the cookie monster and his attempt to join the cookie connoisseur club. This is a club that has all the trappings of any prestigious club like this that you would think would have, like a wine club or a book club or anything like that. The conceit of this scene shows the Cookie Monsters attempts to join this club, but only with the condition that he has to behave in a certain refined and debonair manner. He has to control himself. With the appetites that a Cookie Monster have, you can imagine how well that goes. After each failure, and he tries and he tries and he tries and he fails, he just fills himself with these cookies. He cannot control himself. And he's threatened every single time that he's going to be kicked out of the cookie connoisseur club. After each failure, David Hyde Pierce reportedly tells, um, repeatedly tells Cookie to control himself. You have to act this certain way. And Cookie just doesn't get it. By, but by the time the scene is over, Cookie Monster finally is able to control his appetites. What's really funny, though, is at the end of the scene, um, David Hyde Pierce, um, there's this cookie that's brought out to him that's reminiscent of him being going to his grandparents' house, and he loses all control and gorges himself on these cookies. There's so many good gospel things I love in this. Really short 10-minute scene. The struggle to control our appetites. The long path towards discipline and virtue the grace of the second and third and fourth chances that we see oftentimes in Jesus' parables like the prodigal son. What stands out to me, what really is the trouble of this world, is that it's so easy for us to say some people are in and some people are out. And certainly we felt this exclusion for one group or another. Maybe we felt it from church. It stinks to be on the outside looking in. This happens all the time. When this does happen, when a group does form, something happens inside of that group. It might begin with the best of intentions in, in mind, with a good, solid purpose and goal. But as time moves on, rules are, are created, systems are put into place, and eventually the ultimate goal of that group changes and said to achieve that purpose, but to maintain the survival of that group. Oftentimes, church looks like this, or bureaucracies, or government institutions, or book clubs, build, building walls to keep people out. And if and only if, if someone is embraced or is welcomed, they have to follow those rules, whether they are spoken or unspoken. In the final book of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, The Last Battle, this idea reminds me of a resonating phrase that happens. The dwarves are for the dwarves. Now, I know I'm, doing it, I'm only segmenting my audience. I'm, I'm sorry. But throughout all, everything that happens inside the story, whether it's good things or it's bad things, this group of people, these dwarves, they only say that they are out for themselves. They exclude other people. They see the entire world. They see Narnia being transformed into something new. And they are so stuck on themselves, they can't even see it. This particular psalm flips the script. 
The psalmist alludes to this benediction in numbers. He changes the point of view, but he also suggests what is really at the center of the story. Oftentimes, the groups that we create, oftentimes our church groups that we create, we lose the center of the story. We think it's about the rules that that we create. But instead, it suggests something different. In verse 4, all the nations are glad. They sing for joy. They're ruled justly. And I can't imagine that the psalmist is writing this and he's not thinking about the enemies of Israel. Or if this is after the exile, he's not thinking about the Babylonians or the Assyrians. Or if the Israelites are are reading this during the Roman occupation, they're not thinking about Rome. But as God chooses Abraham, as he chooses Israel, as he chooses his church, he flips the script. And he allows those that appear to be on the outside to be in on the center. I think of Jonah being sent to Nineveh, his enemy, and he refuses to go. I think of Daniel in Babylon, and he tries to maintain his integrity. I think of Jesus talking to the dirty, the diseased, and the socially unacceptable. I think of the first church council in Acts, in which the early fathers meet in the first ecumenical council to figure out what it means for the Gentiles to be a part of Israel. The final, um, and the God's new plan of, of who is in and who is not. Peter's vision about what can and can't be eaten, everything. Paul's mission to go to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel to everyone. And the final glimpse of God's narrative of all the nations, all the nations singing in every tongue. The kingdom of God. The gospel is upside down, upside down. Those who have power have lost it. And those who don't are blessed. Those that grieve are comforted. Those that are dirty are clean. And the list goes on. Everyone is invited to this party. At the heart of this psalm, It praises God and the audacity of this gospel. It joins this larger narrative, this kingdom of God. In Revelation, one of her final stories um, before she passed away, Flannery O'Connor writes about a woman who views herself as being on the inside of the proverbial connoisseur. There she is. Um, The poor, the underclass, the white trash, the blacks, All of them are kept out, and only she is good enough to have common sense and to know how to use it. Throughout the story, she repeats this sentiment. She is a good, conservative, southern Protestant woman. And in the end of the story, in the the best sense of the word irony, she slips and has a vision. O'Connor sees, um, describes it like this. Until the sun slipped behind the tree, Mrs. Turpin remained there, with her gaze bent to them as if she was absorbing some abysmal life-giving knowledge. At last, she lifted her head. There was only a purple streak cutting through the field of crimson, crimson and leading like an extension of the highway into the descending dusk. She raised her hands from the side of the pen in a gesture of, of profound, a vision A visionary light settled in her eyes. She saw the streak as a vast swinging bridge extending upward from the earth through a field of living fire. Upon it, a vast hordes of souls were tumbling toward heaven. There were whole companies of white trash, clean for the first time in their lives, and bands of blacks in white robes, clean, um, and battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs, and bringing up 
the end of the procession was a tribe of people, and she recognized at once those who, like herself and Claude, that's her husband, had always had a little of everything and given the wit to use it right. She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable, as they had always been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior. They alone were on key. Yet she could see their shocked, shocked and altered faces. Even their virtues were being burned away. She lowered hands and gripped the railing of the hog pen, her eyes small but fixed blinkingly on what lay ahead. In a moment of vision, she had remained where she was. At length, she got up and turned off the faucet and in her slow way of darkening path to the, to the house. The woods around her, the invisible cricket choruses had struck up. What she heard were the voices of souls climbing toward into the starry fields shouting hallelujah. I like this for a few reasons. One, because I can't sing on key and I can't clap on beat. But what I like about this especially is that this vision of this woman who thinks she's on the inside of something, that she has this inside knowledge of how the world works, is that she has this vision and everything she assumes and sees is the exact opposite of that. Maybe this is you. Maybe you sit on the sidelines wondering why everyone is privy to something that you just don't know. Or maybe you are on the inside and you're unable to let go of those rules and you remain unyielding. Either way, you're on an adventure of missing the point. Everything that we kind of looked at today, the illusion, the point of view, this, this narrative is all wrapped up into this idea. The Christian life is about blessing others. At the end of this psalm, at the very heart and center of this, is we are blessed to bless others. God draws us in only to send us out again. Not just to enjoy memes, but to make memes. Not just to try cookies, but to make cookies. The Christian life is about hearing this gospel song and singing it out of tune, hopping in and joining the dance. It's about knowing and believing that behind all of these things that are happening inside of our world, all these things that are happening inside of creation in our universe, that there is a loving, compassionate God pulling his creation back together. Psalm 67 ends with hope and joy and love and a destination to a home long sought after. It's about seeing the blessings that God has given, is giving, and will give. It is about taking up the task and joining in. Pray with me. Lord, you do not withhold even your life for our benefits. If nothing is too much to offer you, remind us nothing is too much to sacrifice for our brothers and sisters in need. You have blessed us beyond words. Remind us to bless those around us, our neighbors, the unprotected, the foreigner, the refugee, the immigrants, our friends, our family. Amen.